Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And we are so close to the end of season four, you guys. Today we are recapping episodes 19 and 20, Massacre and Bounty. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Fortune cookie for Massacre. One must let go of the past to hold on to the future. Yeah. Oh, it's a good one. Okay, so we're calling back to the Night Sisters arc. From the middle of season three, it has been a season and a half since we last saw Asajj Ventress. Yeah, and she apparently has a cool hut fighter ship now and is going back to Dathomir. I didn't even notice that. But yes, she has been hiding for a season and a half. And when we left Dathomir last, Mother Talzin had sent Savage Opress to go find his brother, Maul. Mm -hmm. And Asajj was nowhere to be found. So turns out she also sought refuge with the Night Sisters after licking her wounds for a year. I mean, it might have been five minutes. Could have been five minutes. <laughs> she could have been landing, and it's like in the uh, Racco Hardeen arc where she's landing and Savage is taking off. <laughs> okay, I like this theory. Yes. <laughs> So Mother Talzin tells Asajj to renounce everything, give up the Sith, give up all of her old loyalties, become a true Night Sister. Mm -hmm. But as she is pledging herself to the sisterhood, she's in the middle of this ritual, Dooku commands General Grievous to head to Dathomir and wipe out the whole clan. It's absolutely wild because part of the renunciation of her previous Sith and Separatist and all this stuff so that she needs to become a Night Sister, she is baptized in ectoplasm. In green mist, as is traditional <laughs> as for is, the Night Sisters. Yes, yes. Here, here's some green goo. Put it just everywhere. But so, OK, so the ritual is great. She becomes a Night Sister, but as they are celebrating around the fire, Grievous fires on them, unloads a whole, like whole battalions of attack droids, and it's war on Dathomir. So his mm -hmm. army immediately drops a pillar of stone on Asajj's fellow Night Sister. Her name is Karis. New best friend. And this is the spark that Asajj needed to lead the sisters into battle. They've got neon bows and arrows. Asajj is double fisting her lightsabers. Mother Talzin can shoot green force lightning. And then Mother Talzin has the great grandma of the Night Sisters resurrect all of the dead sisters of Eon's past into an undead army. It is a zombie horde in the middle of Star Wars. It is amazing. If you'll recall the, la the first time we talked about the Night Sisters on Dathomir. There's all these disgusting orbs dripping from the trees. Flesh sacks. Yes. Each one is full of zombies. Their rotting bodies hurtle out of these horrifying flesh cocoons in the trees. So if you're Jam, when you want science fiction, you're like, I don't want to be a Star Trek or a Star Wars person. Have you thought about crazy zombie witches from space? fighting battle droids. Yes, sign me up. <laughs> Stick this into my veins. I love this. So the zombie night sisters go bananas on the droid army. It is looking great. While they are clearing Asajj a path to get to Grievous, Mother Talzin is focusing on her next trick, which is using a lock of Dooku's hair. But she was hiding in a bocce ball. Which was so great to make a voodoo doll of him. And completely messed him up. It is great. So Mother Talzin, double-double, 
you know, cauldron burn and mm-hmm. bubble. She does all that. On the other side of the planet, Dooku breaks out in like the worst case of zits I've seen since high school. Dooku's on Sereno. This is like light years away. Oh man, that's even cooler. Yeah. So she's torturing him by Zoom and <laughs> Asajj makes it to Grievous's ship and challenges him to a duel. So they duel. She almost has him, but then he cheats. He has the droid army fire on her and in retribution, the Night Sisters jump on him and the droids are fighting back, but it's too late. The Night Sisters are being overrun. Mm-hmm. So as Mommy T is torturing Dooku. She she crawls out of his chest in ectoplasmic goo and is like, call off your army or I'll kill you. She's my idol. And I love her. So then Dooku phones Grievous and says, you have to kill Mother Talzin before she kills me. Yeah, he's like, follow the green mist back to Mother Talzin. Mm-hmm. So Grievous blows open their secret cave. He kills Great Grandma Nightshade. Uh, old Daka. Old Daka, thank you. The army of zombie sisters goes down. And Mother Talzin is the only one who manages to escape. So she vanishes into a swirl of green mist Grievous knocks over the cauldron. He frees the voodoo Dooku. Mm-hmm. That you do. The, the voodoo doo-doo. That you do. <laughs> and the Night Sisters have fallen. There's no one left. So Mother Talzin appears to Asajj and tells her, this chapter is over. You have a new path to follow now. Because Asajj is running away from the battle. She has been shot multiple times. She's clutching herself and she is just... Ravage. She's like, you can't leave me. And Mother Talzin is like, there's nothing left for you. You have to make your own way in the universe. Ba-ba-bum! So that's the end of Massacre. She's been abandoned, and now we're in Bounty. What's the um, fortune cookie for this one? Who we are never changes. Who we think we are does. Yeah. So Asajj skitters off to some planet somewhere. It looks, looks like, like Tatooine. Tatooine or possibly Jakku. She's in a cantina, classic cantina scene. She orders something disgusting straight up in a shot glass. Some sketchy tentacle faced dude shows up, starts hitting on her. And she is like, I don't want to talk. But she says it first with a lightsaber through the chest. Guess who notices Daddy Bosk sitting and, in the corner. And his new arm candy, Lats Razzi. And they're like, hey, you just killed a member of our bounty hunting team. And if you come work for us, we won't tell the authorities. And she's like, ugh, fine. So she's brought to their headquarters. And who is there but teenage bounty hunter Boba Fett. Also Dengar. Also Dengar. I believe this is the first time we meet Dengar for real. Mm-hmm. And he is young Dengar, still wearing his turban and such. Dapper. And Delightful. then there's also a robot called Highsinger, who and, is very cool. And baby Boba Fett himself is their boss. So they have a plan. They go to this planet. And this planet has a extremely thick atmosphere and a space elevator. And so they land at the top of the space elevator and they meet this utterly kind of weirdly disgusting creature who is a belugan named Major Rigoso, who has a four part beak and tells them that they have this iconic treasure chest and they are not to open it. And they have to go down the space elevator and escort this treasure chest along the train 
to the its final destination. Yeah, the planet is so pressurized that you can't actually fly on it. So they have to go via sub-tram mm-hmm. to this warlord named Lord Blank Atua. His name is literally Blank. They drew a blank on picking that name. I love it. So they spread themselves out aboard this hover train, which is going through these tubes. The whole cavern system is lit by these beautiful pink crystals. But right away, we see the raiders who are going to attack because they're riding giant underground centipedes. And they are cool ninjas. They are basically ninjas. They're definitely ninjas. They are the coolest. So as the music turns up, it's a train fight. Dengar and Asajj are in the back and they are heartily attacked. Bosk and Lots are in the middle. High Singer and it's just this crazy back and forth. First, Dengar is thrown off. Asajj is continually fighting them back and forth and she moves forward. Bosk gets a face full of some sort of ninja dust and is kicked off the train because this train doesn't have windows or guardrails or anything. It's really easy to fall off. High Singer and Lots Razi are doing all sorts of cool fighting. High Singer is a very, he's like eight feet tall, and he is able to just go full on point his guns every direction, shoot everyone mode, which is very cool. And Lots Razi shows that she is a very cool Poison Ivy looking character. She literally weaponized a feather boa that she wears around her neck. It is the best. So after killing a whole bunch of people and long convoluted combat, we eventually get to the final raider boss who shows up and he knocks, uh, he dodges out of the way of Asajj and Latsrazi and High Singer. Latsrazi and High Singer get tangled up in each other and fall off the thing. And we get to the box. The box flies open and inside of it is a young girl. And Boba's like, hey, wait a minute. What's going on? I will rescue you. Asajj walks in. And eventually defeats this final boss who's killed everyone, the the ninja boss. And she's like, you're just a paycheck to me and ties them up. It turns out that it's a princess and her brother is the lead ninja rescuing her. So the girl's name is Pluma. Mm -hmm. Her brother is Crismo. And came to rescue her because it turns out that Pluma is supposed to be Lord Otua's bride. Mm -hmm. So... Pluma is like, you don't know what it's like being ripped from home and losing your family. And Asajj says, I wish I didn't, but I do. Sure do, lady. But I'm too cool to care. So she goes and goes to Boba and she says, all right, we're splitting the pay 50-50 because there's only two of us less. And Boba's like, that's lame and terrible and we're not doing this. Cut to... Asajj delivering, and she's dressing him down because she has been this whole time. She's like, you're just a teenager. No one will take you seriously. Cut to Asajj delivering the box. She delivers it to Lord Blank, blankety blank. She gets the payment up front before they open the box and is like, later taters. They open the box. Inside is trussed up teenage Boba bounty hunter. And then the next thing Asajj does is she takes Crismo and Pluma to the underground centipede raiders. And she's like, and I'll get paid from you guys, too, for letting you go free. And they're like, fine, whatever. Then, surprising to me, we cut to Dengar and Bosk and Latsrazi. And Asajj gives them the case minus her one-sixth share. And she says Boba's is in there, too. And they're like, where is he? And she's like, I'm sure he'll turn up. So she did get paid twice. And then she bounces off and they're like, hey, you'd be a really good bounty hunter. 
And she says, once I was just like you, but I'm not that person anymore. Now I have a future. Da-da-da! So surprisingly uplifting change of pace for Asajj. Yeah, man. I mean, Asajj did choose to rise and grind today. She chose Hondo Onaka vibes, but she did not totally screw over our merry band of bounty hunters. And I appreciate that. I know. I have a note of like Boba Fett leaves zero out of five stars. But then it turns out that she did fine. She managed to like get paid not deliver the goods, get paid again, and bounce without anyone being the wiser. Like, you you just cannot do better I mean, what that. more do you want? Yeah. After getting paid twice, you're just getting greedy. I mean, that's just good business, as Hondo Anaka's mama would say. Exactly. Okay, most important note of the entire arc, we have an Embo cameo on Tatooine. And Embo has a dog now. Embo has a dog. I repeat, Embo has a dog. <laughs> this has been your pup date for season four. <laughs> it is an absolutely vicious looking dog, like the kind that killed uh, Jedi Master even people. Oh, it's horrifying. Yeah. It's horrifying. It's it's It has like spikes instead of If fur. a velociraptor met a Samoyed, that would be Embo's dog. <laughs> Okay, I don't know about you, Sam, but I think Massacre was one of my favorite Clone Wars episodes so far. I was I was bittersweet over Massacre because I love Night Sister stuff. Mm. Like the whole third way of magic, where the Night Sisters come from, where it's all coming together is so cool. And we get so much more about it. Like we've we tripled the number of named Night Sisters in this episode, and then by the end of the episode, they're all dead. That is super true. You did tell me that you had some deep Night Sister lore to share this episode. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about the difference between legends and canon, and this is part of the reason for it, is because in some of the old legend stuff, it is absolutely bonkers. There is a book called from 1994. So this is it's a good year. Well, well before you weren't even around is well before the uh well before the prequels called the courtship of princess leia Ooh! and the plot is that it's a couple years after return of the jedi and in order to deal with warring crime syndicates after the fall of the empire princess leia has become engaged to some prince and so han solo doesn't take that sitting down and has to acquire a bunch of stuff in card games and one of the things he acquires is a deed to a planet and that planet is dathomir which is full of night sister witches what? and this is the first time anyone has heard of night sisters what that's incredible so the expanded lore of the night sisters is that they have risen and fallen and risen and fallen time after time they tamed the rancor and they use that as their beast to, of burden as well as all the stuff we already know in canon about the Night Sisters, which is that they are uh, they separate out the Dathomir males. Mm-hmm. They are barbarians. <laughs> and then there's like this whole thing with uh, the idea of the species of Zabrak, or however you pronounce it, which is the same species as Maul and ostensibly Asajj because they're like near human. And then Dathomirians. So... Zabraks live on their Zabrak planet. Some Zabraks live on Dathomir. And then there's people from Dathomir. So it's this really convoluted, complicated thing. Uh, what is combined in Legends and Canon is that Mother Talzin united all of the Night Sisters under one coven. Coven? Coven? Coven. Coven. 
one coven, and that was uh, what was going on in the events leading up to the Phantom Menace when, in a deal gone wrong for Mother Talzin, she had to give up Maul, her son. Oh, interesting. To Count Dooku. And then the events of the previous uh, episodes that we saw on Dathomir, where she gets her revenge. Did we know that Maul was Mother Talzin's son? Yeah, so that's like still not 100% clear as far as I could tell. It's like... It's weird. I mean, because when she calls yeah. Savage, the only reason I ask is because this is really interesting. She calls Savage and Maul brothers. Yes. Which would make it very clear that Mother Talzin thinks that Savage is her creation. Hmm. Asajj calls him a monster, but that would mean that Mother Talzin considers him a son, which I think is very beautiful. Of course. Mother Talzin also is made of ectoplasm, apparently. So who knows what her deal she is? She has access to the old magics, Sam. There so. are some absolutely incredible scenes in here of the Night Sisters, of Mother Talzin, like shooting out green lightning and just vaporizing battle droids. And then she pass walls through, she, she roadrunners through a wall using green magic and comes out the other side. There is really cool stuff in the Night Sisters, and this is like the the best of it. And it's unfortunate that a whole bunch of Night Sister lore was legends. Now that said, there is a bunch of newer Night Sister lore, which has been added after this, related to the surviving Night Sisters, which take place in the Jedi Fallen Order video game. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Because you do go to Dathomir, it is covered in uh night brothers now but there's a handful of night sisters left and it is totally freaky the things that they can do i loved all of the witchy tropes that we got for the night sisters <laughs> so we have covens we have rituals we have resurrections mm-hmm. using a lock of someone's hair to completely mess them up was yeah. amazing i would just like to say sam in the night sisters arc you doubted me. You doubted that Dooku and Mommy T hooked up, but how else did she get that lock of Dooku's hair? I don't know. This means they were lovers. So is is are, are, is your opinion that Darth Maul is canonically Dooku and Mother Talzin's kid? Absolutely not. I'm just saying they banged. They banged. <laughs> this is basically canon now. You know what is interesting about that lock of hair is Dooku doesn't have like a ton of hair. Yeah, I know. Unless she got it from his beard because. No, uh, this means that back in the 70s when he had cool 70s hair, she. 70s of what century? (laughs) (laughs) Are you just assuming that that everything that happens happens in like the 90s or the (laughs) oddies? I think that Star Wars, despite having taken place in a galaxy long ago, far, far away, is colored by the decade in which it was created, Mm -hmm. which is why I think 70s hair is also canon. Okay. Okay. That's my theory and I'm sticking to it. So here's the thing I found interesting about that. Although she pointed out specifically, Mother Talzin said, a lock of Dooku's silver gray hair. It looked almost like a Padawan little rat tail. Oh. And I think that is interesting. That is super interesting. That's so, a deep cut. I like it. Yeah. We got some A-plus wisdom from Mother Tells in this episode. Oh, yeah. Tons of stuff. Asajj comes to her at the beginning of Massacre and says, you know, Savage, we created him. He betrayed me. He didn't want my teachings. He fled the galaxy. I have nothing. 
And Mother Talzin says, and I said this to Sam yesterday because I immediately memorized it because it's so good. You have your breath, your skill, and your sister's everything needed to survive. Mm-hmm. That is a very hopeful take, Mommy T. You must give up the ways of the Sith and return to our fold, and then you will fulfill your destiny and become a true Night Sister. Okay, and then there's the thing that Asajj says when Grievous starts to barrage Dathomir. Asajj looks at her and she says, this is all my fault and so many are going to die. Mm-hmm. And Mother Talzin says, there is no time for regret. It's time to fight. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that that scene is really interesting, not only because I wrote down a funny joke because she calls Grievous gutless and I wrote literally, but also the... uh, (laughs) The fact that that is actually like a change for her. I think if anything, that shows that Asajj has drifted away or been purged of the darkness of the Sith because Mm. she is starting to take accountability for her actions. Also, her eyes changed somehow. They did. Okay, so I have so much to talk about in terms of this. (laughs) Yes, first of all, in the ritual, Asajj's eyes go from kind of silvery gray to this bright teal. Mm -hmm. Her eyes at, at the, you know, the peak of the ritual, they roll back into her head. All you can see are the whites. And then when they roll back down, they are kind of this metallic teal, which I think is so cool. They're utterly striking. In fact, that's why O'Care is hitting on her in the bar. Oh, you think so? Oh, he's like, what's a blue-eyed, bald chick like you doing in a place like this? Oh, my God. Anyway. Gentlemen, take note. If you're trying to pick up a lady or another gentleman, I don't know that calling them a bald babe is, is the move. But what I love about Asajj's journey is that It's about profound transformation. Oh, yeah. I think of all the characters besides Anakin, Asajj changes her circumstances the most over the course of her journey. So far. So she was an orphan. Yeah. So she went from orphan to Jedi, Jedi to Sith, Mm -hmm. Sith to Night Sister, and Night Sister to question mark, outcast, bounty hunter. Scoundrel. Scum and villainy. Yeah, because she's, you know, that is the element of bounty. At first, when uh, Bosk is still sitting there in that cantina booth, he's like, you just killed our sixth person. Would you like to be a, have you ever bounty hunted? Because you have the disposition for it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's your dead friend. Like, if you're a cold-blooded killer, you could be a bounty hunter. But then at the end of the episode, she's like, nah, not for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that I find that part of her journey weirdly hopeful, yeah. I think, because I think Asajj's journey shows that just because you chose something doesn't mean you have to stick with it. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that is that you can't count on your choices being permanent. Yeah. I would imagine that every time Asajj chose a new chapter in her journey, she thought this was it, right? Mm-hmm. When she went from orphan to Jedi, she was like, I'm a Jedi. I'm going to be a Jedi for my whole life. I'm going to live a Jedi, die a Jedi. And then she became a Sith. Yeah. And when she was a Sith, I imagine she was thinking, I'm going to become the most powerful Sith I can until whatever she wanted, until I you know, overthrow Count Dooku until I help him kill Darth Sidious. Mm -hmm. And then when she was a Night Sister, 
that to me felt permanent too, because the way that Mother Talzin framed her transformation was become a true night sister, let go of everything. Mm-hmm. Your loyalty is your life now, your loyalty to your sisters, and now you will fulfill your destiny. And then 20 minutes later. 20 minutes later, she's not a night sister anymore. Or if she is, she's the last remaining night sister that she knows of. Yeah. There are very few surviving Night Sisters. So hand. it's hard to watch her kind of aimlessly drift down onto Tatooine and make her way to this space cantina, which, as delightful as that was, never did I think that I wanted Asajj in the cantina scene, but it was delightful. But it's hard to watch her not have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah, so this has actually been keeping me up at night is this sense that, like, I have peaked in my career and it's all downhill from here and I've peaked in my body and it's all downhill from here. I'm experiencing that that midlife crisis a bit. And the idea that Asajj is in a similar boat where she has been at the top of her game so many times that now when someone offers her something, she actually has the integrity and the... She has the ability to say no. She has an abundance mindset. Yeah. She's not starving for scraps, even though mm-hmm. everything has been taken from her. The other thing is that the uh, heel face turn that she does in the second half of the bounty episode mm. from like, okay, we all know Asajj. We know that she's a bad girl. And then when she walks in, she sees the princess and she's like, Boba, get your act together. Uh, she's our bounty. It doesn't matter if she's like a princess in distress. We get paid only if we deliver her. And then you think, okay, she trusts up Boba. So now she's running with all the money. And then when you see her paying off everyone, you're like, oh, she actually made the whole thing work out. She got paid slightly more. But it's like, when did she become a good guy? When did she become a Robin Hood? Or when did she develop such a distinct code of ethics? Because that's what I think is really interesting, Mm -hmm. that she can choose to be a bounty hunter, but also choose to operate with her own set of ethics within that job. I think that is empathy. Because like ethics, you know, it's, it's a little unethical to be lying and cheating your way to getting paid even if you make it good after it's Mm. still a sober horse thief is still a horse thief but the uh at the end of the the day she's become a person who has empathy and that's because of the events in massacre when she was part of a community that like loved her and respected her Mm. even for just 20 minutes Yeah, yeah, because I think that's the difference in the settings that Asajj had when she was on the dark side. Even Mm -hmm. when she was a Sith, even when she was Dooku's most trusted assassin, he was using her. There was no love, there was no affection, there was no loyalty. Well, we talked about that a lot, because especially like season one, season two, Dooku... His management style is berate, berate, berate. The the beatings will continue yeah. until morale improves. He's just like, you should have done better. You suck. You, you suck. failed me. Yeah. yeah. And like that, I mean, if, if your subordinates fail, that's your fault as a manager because you've set them in the wrong thing. So, But the messaging that Asajj gets from the Night Sisters is such a beautiful contrast to that, right? Absolutely. Because... 
in every setting that we have any of the sisters interacting with Asajj, they are saying, you're one of us. Leave me. Save yourself. Yeah. We're doomed, but you don't have to be. There are people who are looking out for Asajj and who have her back at the expense of their own safety and survival. Mm-hmm. And that is so different. And that's why I think she's capable of looking at Pluma and mm-hmm. seeing herself and maybe even seeing another sister. Because I think the mirroring of their journeys is really nicely done and it wouldn't have made sense without Massacre. Definitely. Definitely. And the fact that it is a sister who is saved by her brother is interesting to us as well. Well, I think that's beautiful. But she's also saved by Asajj, mm-hmm. another sister, yeah. right? Yeah. And at the end of the episode, now they both have futures. Pluma has a future that mm-hmm. doesn't involve being sold into a non-consensual marriage. Mm-hmm. And Asajj has a future that isn't her settling. Yeah, Settling for whatever comes her way, she has that mindset where even though something is offered to her, she doesn't have to take it if it's not right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's amazing. I that, totally my agree. friends, is character growth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing how much can happen in just the few episodes, the last three, four episodes that Asajj has been. Because she was this, you know, token recurring villain who we could kill off at any time because she doesn't appear in the movies. And then she becomes... A character with her own arc and art and backstory and a really integral part of the whole thing. There's a there's a theme that I want to talk about a little bit in this arc, which is the theme of betrayal. Okay. I think both of these episodes, Massacre and Bounty, had really strong, a really strong presence of betrayals in different forms. Yeah. So there's the line right at the beginning of Massacre when Asajj is talking to Mother Talzin about Savage. Mm-hmm. And she says, Savage, that monster we created has forsaken us. Mm. He refused my guidance and now I have nothing. Not to mention that the whole couching of Asajj's arc is, in, and that previous arc where she was in, is about betrayal, right? So The betrayal from Dooku, absolutely. Yeah. So I think Asajj sees... Savage leaving her as a betrayal, but I think that's because she's primed to see her life in terms of betrayals. Because she's thinking like a Sith. No, because everyone in her life has betrayed her. Yeah. Dooku betrayed her. Her original master when she was a slave betrayed her, giving her away to the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Her Jedi master, you know, betrayed her by not protecting her and by dying. Yeah. And then Savage, she feels betrayed her, even though she sees him just as a monster that she created for her own use. It's like you beat your dog and then your dog turns on you. Because she only knew the behaviors that she was taught, Mm -hmm. right? And so she can only propagate the behaviors that she was taught. This is the lens, I think, where she sees her whole life in this framing. Yep. So then my other question, do you think... That Dooku saw Asajj turning on him, even after he tried to murder her. Do you think Dooku saw that as a betrayal too? 
he says as much. He, he says, does? Yeah, he says, destroy that traitor Ventress and the Dathomir witches. Which is bizarre, because he tried to murder her. That's why I think it's actually the way of the Sith. And that is perhaps like a deep cut of why she views things through betrayal up until she becomes a Night Sister is because she is actually acting as a Sith. And when when you're a Sith, everything is in terms of betrayal because of the rule of two in that you always are gunning for your boss's life and job. And so as long as she's thinking in that, she is thinking exclusively of ways to betray her master and how her master is going to betray her. So you think the turning point was her baptism? Yeah, her ecto-baptism. <laughs> Ecto-baptism. <laughs> I mean, I think that's interesting because I wrote down the wording of the ritual because I loved it, because I love witchy stuff. <laughs> and here's what Mother Talzin made Asajj pledge. She said, do you pledge yourself to the sisterhood? To the magics and the old ways, do you abandon your old life for Mm -hmm. this new one? Mm -hmm. And I love the idea that that was the moment that Asajj truly did renounce the Sith. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that is the moment. Because after that point, she makes friends with Karis when they're sitting around the campfire. She defends her sisters. And it's the first time we see her... Uh, you know, she's killed battle droids before in fits of peak, but she's like attacking them with an army. We've never seen her actually lead an army. We've seen her be at the forefront of an army, but never lead it like a trusted general. Yeah. Yeah. And that is she's giving orders. She says, climb up in the trees and we'll attack them from above and below. Mm. So I think that does completely change her and it unlocks a part of her. And maybe that's what Mommy T was saying. It was like, your destiny is to be so much more than just a Sith acolyte, Hmm. a Sith assassin who is just doing the bidding of someone else despite your power. Which makes it so tough that Mother Talzin evaporates before telling Asajj what her destiny is going to be. Because then it begs the question, when if you are destined to do something... Do you just live your life until it smacks you in the face or do you have to go out and find it? Oh, I mean, isn't that the meaning of life right there? What What is your destiny? And when do you know you're there? Yeah. Not to like, you know, go super deep on Maine, not to like ask what the meaning of life is on our Star Wars podcast. But That's yes. The question. That's but the yes. Question. I think for Asajj, it is perception now and it is refinement and it is moving towards something meaningful Hmm. for herself instead of she i think she has decided to no longer work for people who don't appreciate her Mm -hmm. and that is a really liberating and freeing thing to do that's why i find her journey to be like you said, bittersweet, but also ultimately hopeful and freeing. Yeah. That you don't just have to settle for a situation because it's what you have. Yeah. And you don't have to accept something just because it's given to you. You can find the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. She can practice discernment in all things. Mm. And that is the lesson she learned. And she had to learn it hard 
twice and easy once. And now that she's learned that lesson three times, she's ready to move on. Mm. The first time with Dooku didn't take. The second time with her night sisters, which did take. And then the third time with, do you want to just go where the wind takes you and lay about? Because importantly, she is no longer recently gunshot by the time she gets to Tatooine. Yeah, I mean, who knows how long it takes on commercial air travel to get from Tathomir to Tatooine. It looks like she is flying freight, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, who, who knows? And that means that she's had time to ruminate on that and wander aimlessly. And so maybe the intervening time in between Massacre and Bounty is the time that it took for her to learn to say no. No is a complete sentence, and she had to learn to do that. She'll still get paid, though. She's, well, she got paid twice, so Hondo Onaka's mom would approve. Mm-hmm. I have a... I have a spicy question. Lay it on me. Which which night sister is sexier? Is that That's not the question, <laughs> but I did I did deeply appreciate the uh, <laughs> the Tony the Tiger style shirts no bottoms look we got for the night sisters this episode that was very fun. <laughs> They're uh they wear combat hoodies and that's it. And that's it. <laughs> no face, yes thigh. <laughs> so, is it is it too radical to say that Massacre is about the patriarchal overthrow of powerful women in Star Wars? No. And here's why. The author of that book, The Courtship of Princess Leia, wrote that he wanted to have a lineage of strong force-using women to counterbalance the multiple lineages of strong force-using men in the Star Wars universe. Really? And the fact that the whole book is about Princess Leia, like, twisting behind the scenes while these men are fighting over her. Yeah. Really? And that is the introduction of the Night Sisters there. So the Night Sisters, by their very existence, pose a threat to the patriarchy of Star Wars. Okay, yes. To all of that, yes. Yes, I love that framing. Yes, I love this author. Yes, I'm going to immediately go stalk them on every social media form that exists. This book is 25 years old. Yes, I'm going to Amazon this book immediately. But also, I think the author is right. I think the Night Sisters represent the unwillingness of the patriarchy to let powerful women interrupt the status quo. Yeah, because of the way that Dooku took... The fact that he's like, ah, how dare you have the audacity to not die when I want you to die? This Absolutely. The Night yeah. Sisters, we have no proof that they are doing anything to bother anybody. They are hanging out on Dathomir. They, they, they are did, practicing ye old magics. They, they did try to kill Dooku last episode. Yeah, but that was like months ago. <laughs> you know how many people try to kill Dooku? I know, right? <laughs> And then Asajj comes home for two seconds and Dooku decides to wipe out her entire clan. Guess who he doesn't try to wipe out? All of the male Knight Brothers, the next village over. Yeah, that's true. So the the prosecution rests, Yeah, is what I'm saying. I have a deep thought here 
of one of the things that is true in both canon and legends about the Night Sisters is that under Mother Talzin, they did take on a mercenary aspect and they started hiring themselves out for various jobs. When you need a assassin to show up and poison someone, you know, use a Night Sister. The idea of wanting a service, a military service from someone or a monetary service from someone and then deciding not to pay them is one that has a long history. It's actually one of the roots of anti-Semitism because in the uh, Reconquista era Spain, so going from like the 900s to the 1400s in Spain, you had the three different religious groups. You had a, a large proportion of Jews and then Muslims and Christians fighting back and forth. Now, all three of those religions believe uh, it's in their texts that it is absolutely immoral, abhorrent to charge interest on loans to people of your religion. It's called usury. Yes. Uh, Still true to this day. Eh. But um, (laughs) what would happen would be the kings or the caliphs. So going back and forth, whether it's the Umayyad Caliphate or the Frankish conquerors, would take out loans from the Jewish people, because they'd be like, yeah, sure, I'll loan you money. You're of a different religion than I am. And then they'd be like, okay, I don't want to pay you back. So I'm going to confiscate your people and have you executed. I was going to say, I don't think this ever works out for anybody who tries to not pay their mercenaries. I mean, when it becomes a religious thing, then it starts to pay them back and forth. But does Dooku feel like he, by, he's like, okay, I got a bum deal last time I ordered a... Child, I express ordered my next apprentice from Dathomir. I paid for prime shipping. Yeah, (laughs) he tried to kill me. My previous one tried to kill me. Zero stars, but like very few people want to burn down the warehouse after that. Dooku decided to do that. So, Dooku's a Karen. Is it because he views it as a threat to his patriarchal hold? Possibly. He is a power hungry, crazy person. He also thinks exclusively in terms of betrayal. So, yes, I was thinking that this was a little bit bigger in that this was more about the Star Wars, the creators of Star Wars being unwilling to let powerful women exist in Star Wars without being punished. Hmm. Yeah. Another part of it is that it's telegraphing part of why the Empire was so bad, because it was all black, white and gray and it was all weird trapezoidal halls and there was no weird left there was no magic there was no weirdness Mm. all the life had been ripped out of the universe and replaced with fear never did we ever get to see a beautiful quartzite you know subterranean cavern that is just completely lined with purple geodes like we did in bounty yeah, in fact, in even in the sequels, there's a lot of back and forth with the iconography of the and and in like for example, episode four, uh, A New Hope, the Empire is on the Death Star and the Rebels are on Yavin Four, a beautiful jungle planet covered in crazy temples. Like the difference between weird and unique versus order is kind of the back and forth fight throughout the Star Wars universe. So connect that back to women and and women's representation for me. Uh, as I, I am an intersectionalist in all these things, and I always consider it to be part of, uh, like, at the fundamental root of racism and misogyny. feminism and misogyny is 
classism. It yes. is class warfare. Yes. And so at the root of that is the imposition of will. And that imposition of will is the end goal that we're telegraphing for. You can't have weird, powerful women if you're going to have a society that is all about power projection based off of the force of arms. Because these weird, powerful women who can appear in ectoplasm out of your chest and murder you because they have some of your hair have no place in something where you want to have Death Stars. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So the witchy ways of women are not allowed. In fact, circling back a little bit to this book, the, because I, I read into it, and I I swear, I think I read it back in like 1994. I read the entire science fiction section of my small town library when I was a wee lad. It was like 1,300 books, but this was 30 years ago. Um, the idea was that the witches of Dathomir were also founded on Wiccan principles. Yeah. Because they have two gods, one of them does fulfill the Mother Maiden Crone trope, and yeah, the covens, all these things are very much based off these structures of power, which have been co-opted and turned into evil over the course of the last millennia to disenfranchise women. And since we are speaking about religion uh, in this arc, I mm-hmm. would say that that beautifully mirrors how Wiccanism came from paganism, mm-hmm. which was co-opted by Christianity and other domineering religions yeah. to give people a bridge to turn from paganism to one of the major three religions, most often Christianity. Yeah. Well, there's not one one specific pagan religion. There's a bajillion of them, but yeah, each paganism. Of them, yeah, each of them was you know grabbed in a, a process called syncretism because that's how you make things. That's like why Roman Catholicism in Mexico is quite different than Roman Catholicism in the Philippines or in Italy because they all took on a significant amount of local flair. Yes, so I think it is. Meaningful and compelling that the Night Sisters' journey follows historical precedent. Oh, yeah. I just want to state for the record that I'm also sad that mm-hmm. Star Wars didn't choose to change the narrative when it could have. Is it meaningful to see the historical struggle of women reflected in the Night Sisters? Yes. Would it have maybe been more meaningful for me to see them? triumph and not get massacred for being powerful also yes yeah also yes so in legends works the night sisters are attacked but survive and move on and rise and fall in the future and in the canon that might still be possible because there are enough night sisters left to create more night sisters using their old magics however I have talked at length, and this is kind of my thesis for this whole growing up Skywalker thing, at least this phase of it, is that the Clone Wars rehabilitated the prequels. Because when the prequels came out, they were like, eh, you know, people were either really for them or really anti them. But as the Clone Wars came along, people really started appreciating them. That said, the core of Star Wars is still the original trilogy. And the arc of the Star Wars IP kind of has to bend around it, which is why there's much more female representation in the prequel era and the sequel era than during the original trilogy era. Oh, yeah. Which shows this interesting nadir in what the universe could be. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm 
having all these explosive thoughts right now of how A New Hope, that first title of episode four, might be as, you know, as we backtrack, as we backfill, as we rehabilitate the original trilogy through the Clone Wars, it might be A New Hope for women and aliens and all these things, all these creatures, all these ideas, which the Empire squashed. Mm. So by... We're we're telegraphing our punches to make the Empire seem even worse because the predecessor to the Empire is what would have destroyed the Night Sisters. Okay, yes. Yes, I love that. Yes, okay. absolutely. And I think that is only possible because we are coming at Star Wars from 2022. That's true. But I don't think that makes it less meaningful because even when you look at a movie, a film like A New Hope mm-hmm. from the distance that we're looking at, I think you bring yourself in this moment to it when yeah. you watch it. Yeah. And I think it is absolutely true that even though people might not have had the will or the language or the framing to bring issues of diversity and inclusion into a sci-fi movie, mm-hmm. we can do that now. Yeah. Because we know that representation is important and because we know that it is powerful to see your struggles reflected in popular media. Yeah, this is this actually goes to some really stupid things going on in the world right now. But if you exclusively read books with white male protagonists or whatever, you're going to miss out on a lot of the really cool books where things get weird. It basically teaches you to empathize with white males, which is great, but there Mm -hmm. are more people and more aliens in the universe. Yeah. More aliens in the galaxy to identify with. I was listening to an episode of Treks in the City the other week, and it's one of my inspirations also for starting this podcast, and it's run by female comedians. And they were talking about how you have to actually, when you're doing a, a stand-up bit, get in front of the fact that they're a female comedian before you can even tell your jokes. Yes. And the payload you have to deliver in the story is like, it requires so much more work. And it's so unfortunate that in a crazy, especially animated science fiction setting, you can't just be like, all right, everyone's weird now. Everyone's ant people. Like, we don't care because you could just do anything. There's no cost above and beyond, like, the cost you're already using. It's it's frustrating that we don't have more representation. And I'm extremely grateful for all the animated series of Star Wars for giving us all these crazy things. And, it and for better. making it possible to now bring them into live-action television. Mm-hmm. So to have beautiful, realistic Twi'leks yeah. and even more realistic Wookiees. All of it. Yeah, yeah. Although Wookiees were pretty good back in the 70s. They were, they've always been great. No complaints. Five stars. (laughs) But it's it's also uh, a picture of things to come that several of our next great stories have extremely strong female leads. Yes. Rebels and Resistance. And there's great sequel trilogy, right? Sequel trilogy. Uh, Mando. A lot of good female episodes in there. There's good stuff. So There is good stuff. And I, I just want to say, even though it was really tough to watch Massacre and watch what happened to the Night Sisters, I still left this arc feeling hopeful and yeah. feeling like there is a whole new world open to Asajj that wasn't open to her before mm-hmm. and that she is strong and she's resilient and she's a survivor and her destiny is still unfolding. And I yep. think that is something that... I'm going to carry with me too. 
when you're in that dark moment of watching your sisters die, mm-hmm. it's hard to see that things are brighter on the other side. But I I feel now that there's a moment when Asajj is going to look back on her life and see why this was necessary for her journey and her growth as a character and a person. She experienced catharsis. Yes. Love that for her. Love that for her. Love that for us. Love that for everyone. Love that for everybody. Is it now time for Baywatch? Should we play taps for all the all the Night Sisters? We'll or? we'll send them out on a, a beautiful Wiccan chant. Baywatch, 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 or a, a crazy necromancer chant. Yeah, we'll find one. We'll spin one up for you. <laughs> Sam, who's your bae? Well, it's got to be Asajj. And it's because of her her twist at the end. Okay, yes. The the twist at the end where she gets paid twice. You think she's getting paid like seven. First, you think she's getting paid six times. Then you realize she's getting paid seven times. And then you realize she's getting paid twice. And I'm like, this is great. I love this for her because... A handful of unmarked credits is presumably enough to buy a ship or something, and she can... Oh, yeah, she's got options. Yeah. She's got options. She could buy uh, clothes with sleeves now. So... (laughs) She could cover her thighs. She could buy a hat. (laughs) Or she could kill someone for a hat like Cat Bane. But now she has... um, She does have a future. And this is a very cool part of her character arc. And, you know... Seeing her fight with the ferocity of a Sith, but then with the strength of her sisters beside her as a night sister, and then seeing her fight as someone who's like, I have lightsabers, I know how to use them, but I'm also still surprisingly constrained because mm-hmm. I'm just getting paid for them. Um, seeing someone go through their struggles is really empowering for me, especially when they get over them. That's I had a, a really nice moment this weekend. Uh a mutual friend reached out and said that her, uh, a much younger friend of hers, who's, who's closer to my age, was really struggling with uh, substance abuse and depression. And and can she get my phone number to give to him? And I thought that what an empowering thing to be there as an example for others. And I think that is what Asajj has become to Pluma, mm. to Crismo. And to, if any of your surviving Night Sisters are, they've been like, remember that time that we brought Asajj back into the fold and then she led an absolutely daring but ultimately terrible defeat. But she did her best to save us. And that contrasts so strongly with all of her previous lives. We can go back to Ambush, the pilot. Oh, yeah. And she gets very sternly admonished by Yoda and then skitters away. And every time she's always skittering away. And this time she's leaving on her own terms. And this is the first time we've seen her leave on her own terms. That is absolutely true. I also remember from Ambush, the pilot, Yoda told her, you're powerful, but you have a lot to learn. Yeah. And now we are seeing Asajj coming into her power Acting as a general, becoming a sister, 
carving out her own way of being a bounty hunter, carving out her own place in the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Asajj. Mm -hmm. It's Asajj for me too. And I did not think that was going to be my choice until we talked about her for the last hour. And <laughs> I'm just, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm proud of her. And I want to see where she goes. And I see myself in her. And you know how rare it is for me to see myself in a Star Wars character. And I see myself in her. And that is really meaningful. Special mention for Heisinger C21 for being extremely cool. Special mention for Lotz Razi for being fabulous. Mm -hmm. No stars for Boba Fett. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was teen twerp. Bounty Hunter. He's working on it. He's not a daimyo yet, so. No, no. But this is a character moment for him as well. To be like, you know, maybe I do need a cutout for uh, to get paid. Because despite the fact that I have a very cool group of bounty hunters, including Boss, who will do what I say at the drop of a hat, I don't. It's still a big galaxy and there's still some real tough customers in it. I think Boba Fett learned the importance of making new bounty hunters sign a contract <laughs> before the job. Of at least learning their name. Yeah, the new girl. <laughs> <laughs> hey, rookie. And then. Hey, rookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so great. We have some exciting news for next week mm -hmm. because next week is May the 4th Be With You mm -hmm. 2022, a.k.a. the 50th episode of Growing Up Skywalker, a.k.a. the one-year anniversary of this podcast. <laughs> and that is so exciting. And also, we are having our friend Tim from Funny Science Fiction Podcast on the show to recap the final episodes of season four, it is Brothers and Revenge. He specifically requested these ones. He requested to come on the show four months ago to talk about these episodes, and we are so excited to have him. You, you don't have to call that far in advance. You don't. <laughs> if you want to be on the show, like, next week, we'll make it happen. Oh, well, not next week, but... <laughs> two weeks, we'll make it happen. Two weeks from now. But join us for that. And thank you so much, all of our listeners, however you interact with us on social media, on email, if you send us, you know, plasma arrows from your plasma bow on Dathomir. As always, if you want more Skywalker, feel free to become one of our patrons. You can search for us on patreon.com. Feel free to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you like to listen to podcasts on your phone, you can download the app Good Pods and listen to us there. It helps to keep us on the top 100 film and television podcast charts, which we are very proud to be part of. Now, that's not even indie. That's all of them. That's all of them. And make sure to send this episode to someone who has experienced significant character growth and now has the ability to act with discernment. The ones that got a catharsis. Yeah. And we'll have to look up catharsis. Yes. And we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.